Hey. Hello. What's going on? Uh, not much. Just, uh, again, you know, this is very classic. Left on red territory. Wearing a tank top, basketball shorts. Sitting in my hot-ass room. Recording an episode. There you go. Feels very, <laughs> feels very, uh... A vintage feel like left on red. You've been here before. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the right cat on. is stalking in and out of my room, uh, occasionally meowing, wanting to be to have his head scratched, and then he goes and nibbles on a little bit of food. Then he comes over, just back and forth. Yeah. Very gluttonous. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, no, he he will do this for the entire hour. He'll just take two bites and come back over here, and then just stand under my hand until I scratch him. That's hilarious. Yeah. He's such a uh, he's such a funny cat. Yeah, he is. He is he is Sancho Panza. <laughs> of that there is no doubt. <laughs> um dude, that rules. Yeah. Oh, the browser website. So I have a part of part of the episode today is going to involve me directing you at the right time to a series of photographs and little blurbs about a particular individual. Uh, cool. and I the browser yeah this is it okay perfect the browser site's just different than the mobile site uh, okay. um i i wish i had a i wish i had a sancho yeah yeah dude cats are cool you should get one yeah so it's funny like um i started the process of trying to adopt a cat and sent out like you know you have to send an application to a lot of these shelters and because of covid like places aren't you can't just like walk in and see cats be like right? i like that cat it's yeah. looking at me funny you have to do everything via like remote correspondence and um you know i don't want to make any assumptions or cast any aspersions but i have a feeling that like the cat people that like run the cat ranch aren't the most like prompt they, you know i get the sense that you might be kind of a scatterbrained person so a lot of people i just never heard back from but um mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, the, the cliche right now about having an entry-level job and needing 10 years of experience. Oh, yeah, no, dude, yeah, they're like, well, you do you have a reference from a vet? You're like, no, this is my first pet. I, I would like to own this yeah. pet. You're like, well, no, you need to, ha- before you can own a pet, you've had to have owned a pet. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like, why would I have a working relationship with a veterinarian? I get all my, my shit done foray. by a, a, a people doctor. <laughs> yeah, see, that that's why I just, uh, my friends had a cat that they, they could no longer keep. Yeah. Uh, and I took him, and now I have my vet reference. You know, I got kind of grandfathered in. There you go. Sort yeah. of. I guess grandfathered in wouldn't be the right term there. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I schmoozied my way in there. And like, oh, yeah, no, this cat that you know, I'm just the guy who has him now. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, great. Right. <laughs> like, what happened to his previous owner? Uh, pancakes by drunk dump truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't it, but yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, yeah, well, you got lucky. Yep. There's, there's obviously. I wish I could get grandfathered in. Yeah. But, Again, probably not the right term to use well, there, but here's the thing: if somebody, I've also had a couple opportunities where, like, I had a friend who's, who had gotten a kitten from a friend. Yeah. And then their cat was pregnant again. So my ex girlfriend, whose friend this was, was like, you know, hey, such and such just got in touch with me. Um, her cat's having more kittens. Do you want one? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And she was like, cool, cool, cool. It'll just definitely have fleas and worms because all the pu- yeah. the kittens do. And I was like, well, I don't, you know, if I was living by myself, maybe I'd, but I don't want to like bring fleas into the house and. Yeah, my well, so a story with that. with that. So I have a friend, I uh, obviously won't use their name, but recently they had gotten a cat as well. Yeah. Uh, like this was last year and it was a kitten. And kit, yeah, I mean, you know, until 
you get them dewormed and everything like that, there's a good chance that they'll have worms, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Just kind of happens with, um, you know, animals. Um, and so, like, you know, he had obviously been, like, holding the cat and, you know, like, sleeping in his bed. And, you know, it, he was still waiting for the vet appointment. And so, um, worms can transfer from cats to, uh, to humans. Mm. And he didn't realize that, you know. And so, uh, you know, long story short, he shit his fucking pants <laughs> in, like, in like a, a pharmacy. Like, his pharmacy that he goes to all the time. Because all of a sudden, like, he didn't realize it. And it's, like, uncontrollable when you have, like, worms. So he had yeah. to, like, get dewormed as well. But, yeah, he was just, like, <laughs> buying something. And then it was in the summer and just shit himself. Was Were there <laughs> worms in the shit? I mean, it just ran down his legs, and he had to run out of the store. Because imagine being the person home. cleaning that up and being like, yo, there's worms in this. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably not at that point. Uh, you Raw know, and wriggling. He just had to, like, run out of the store as he's just, like, liquid diarrhea ink. Oh, my God. That's uh, that's awful, man. <laughs> I've, never yeah, had very that funny full, I've never had that full experience, you know, like, yeah. in public. I've come close in my own home, but that's another story. <laughs> I think we've already gone over that. Yeah, yeah, we, well, yeah, we've well, talked about my norovirus episode. Well trodden uh, territory. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I need to tell that that story again. I had many no. people reach out after that. They're like, "God damn, dude, that sounds terrible." Yeah, and that was does. in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, yeah, you had it bad. I've had like little stomach bugs, but I, never yeah. quite that uh, horrible sounding. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh well, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess. We did say before we start the show, we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about current events. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of tough to be sort of upbeat with, yeah. I mean, kind of what's happening right now. Absolutely. Yeah, um, no, it's, so for those of you listening, um, we're recording this on Thursday, the 26th. Um, you'll yep. have it soon. By Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Probably by Monday. Um, or if not. Yeah, definitely by Monday, because I'm working like a dog before that. Um, But, yeah, so, you know, we're just a couple days out from this most recent sort of tragic, not sort of tragic, this most recent tragic shooting that happened in Texas. And um, this one in particular, I feel like we've, we've been texting a lot back and forth about, because there's, you know, in addition to the sort of obvious tragedy of horror a bunch of children being you know stripped of their lives um there's this whole secondary element of police incompetence that's like just really to to me sort of like gasoline on the fire as far as like how outraged i feel about it i mean yeah and you know it's something that like i mean there's clearly a cover-up happening right now right like you know i i remember even at the time of um like, there were reports constantly about, oh, the guy's in police custody. He's not in police custody. Right. He's in police custody. He's dead. Ends up he's dead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my guess would be that he got popped <laughs> yeah. in order to shut him up about what happened leading up to it. That's just speculation on my part, obviously. Um, but, you know, reports that, you know, it was to the point that it was about an hour that uh, this uh, individual had been inside of a school shooting fucking children. Like... Like, not yeah. like, not like, I mean, as horrible as, like, high school children are, this is like, I mean, these are, like, these are young children. Yeah, they've had, like, no <laughs> chance to even turn into yeah. the person they're going to be yet. They're, yeah. they're and, you know, little, I, little people. And I, I would say it is uh, that there's probably no 
more obvious um, symbol of a failed society or you know civilization country yeah. that we can't even protect uh, you know our future from ourselves like this you know yeah. you know when you know eight nine ten year old children can't go to school without fear that the state the people in charge of their lives cannot stop them from being mutilated and massacred mm -hmm. at will and that you know there's almost seemingly no institutional uh, a desire from anybody in power to affect any sort of change you know on the very day that this happens um you know the, the you know the democratic party likes to pretend like they're uh you know the party that cares about people uh their basically basic response has been well you should vote in november yeah um and also yeah, they, they were making a, a, a polling yeah, thing it's like yeah they also said uh you know they came out and said and this is democrat again that if there's any legislation it won't be until after the memorial day recess because god damn i don't care if kids are getting shot i'm gonna fucking grill you know what i mean yeah yeah um there's also the fact that at the very same time in Texas, the Democratic establishment was making 11th hour calls to stop a progressive challenger against Henry Cuellar, who's like the most like right wing Democratic member of the House of Representatives. He has an A rating from the NRA. Um, he's also uh, anti-abortion. So, right. you know, just so you know that those in charge really don't care about that issue either. Um and, uh, you know, it seemed, you know, and I don't, it, there's, I find it difficult to really even articulate just how much of an institutional breakdown this entire thing is, you know, and, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm absolutely. somebody who's pro second amendment. Yeah. I believe that people should have the right to own guns. Clearly there needs to be a huge overhaul in the process and especially, you know, who can purchase guns when they yeah, can absolutely. Uh, the entire aspect of it. You know, I remember visiting a friend in Virginia and I had never owned a gun. I had never taken any gun safety classes. I had one time at that point in my life shot guns before. And yeah, he was just we, like, we Oh yeah, dude, if you just say that you live at my house, they'll let you walk out with a gun today. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was there for the one yeah. time you shot guns. Cause that was the one time I shot guns. Yeah. And, uh, I was really bad at it. And that's why I don't have a gun. I I know yeah. I'm fucking ass at that. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I I think it's a fun fun hobby that can be done sure. safely, but obviously, yeah. and you know, I think there, there, there are needs practical, to be practical yeah. parts to it too. Like I get, yeah, you know, if you live in an area where it's necessary, I mean, having home protection, protecting your yeah. family and and yourself from, you know, yeah. whatever. We won't get overly yeah. radical here, and, but but the uh, thing is also, you know, like. We're not the only country in the world that has gun laws like this. I mean, you can go north to Canada, yeah, where they have similar gun laws to us, and this doesn't Dude, happen. Switzerland, which which is why the entire you know the entire debate on on the on the right, they'll try to talk about how it's mental health, something they've never ever 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 given a fuck about and don't hear. They just use it as a misdirect, and then you yeah. have like Democrats who will make a big show about gun control, but it's like the abortion thing where they'll never actually do anything to implement these because they like to fucking use these as as a way to whip their base into fundraising. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and both of them are misdirects because there's clearly something else going on than just oh if we just uh, had gun control no there's clearly something happening right that isn't either of these things that is much deeper and and more horrifying that we keep doing this to each other and and to fucking children and you know i think you know, something like the fbi needs to really get a long look at because 
and I've told you this before, you know, like, oh yeah, wait a couple days, they'll say that they knew the shooter and he was on their watch list. Fucking FBI didn't even wait. Yeah. This time. Literally the day of, they were like, we knew this motherfucker. Yeah. He was on a watch list. This was preventable. Well, you know, at a certain point, people really need to start there and sit and, like, look at how the fuck does every single one of these, are they known by the FBI? Mm-hmm. You have certain mass shootings. I fe- this one was in Texas. I can't remember the exact one. I can look it up in a second. But an FBI agent was arrested leaving the scene of a mass shooting, and he had messages from his phone to the shooter encouraging them. Hmm. And how, and you know, you get to ones where there was that teenager in Detroit who was a fucking lonely, depressed teenager, and he was a Muslim, and he had been, uh, he had multiple federal agents posing as women over Twitter DMing him, trying to get him to commit a shooting, and he repeatedly said that he didn't want to do it, and that was wrong, and so they ended up just arresting him anyway on owning a gun that he didn't own anymore, and that he had already been arrested with once before, which is how he was known, and they just arrested him for the same thing again. And I think people really, really need to start asking, why the fuck is it? that so many of these people are known to law enforcement beforehand or are encouraged by law enforcement sure. because there is something more going on here. Yeah, and I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, I don't want to get too deeply conspiratorial here, right? Because yeah, no, me neither. Ultimately, I think the the important thing is, is right, the human element of this, but yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, at, at a certain point, when do you stop and examine the tactics that these law enforcement agencies utilize to quote-unquote catch people uh, mm-hmm. and how often do the techniques used to do that actually encourage or create yeah. the problem that might not have existed to begin with right you know, it, at what point like, is the entrapment so severe that yeah. you're actually sort of guilty of creating you know yeah. the person in the situation where this might occur and uh, yeah look look at the guys in the uh, the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case where two of them were straight up acquitted of all charges. Yeah. Because it was so obvious that this was... I mean, these these guys were stupid and, in my opinion, dangerous. Yeah. And they should face some consequences. Of course, they were dangerous. And I think they did. I think the fact that they were jailed and put through trial probably scared them fucking straight. Um, But it's also like, can you say that those guys were likely to do anything if it weren't for the federal government? Yeah. yeah, egging them on. And the reason that they do this is so that they can look like heroes when they stop it or to get more funding. But, like, I mean, the the craziest part with the Gretchen Whitmer one was when there was that one... And, you know, I read these. I read the transcripts. Like, the, the arrest transcripts. Like, the... the uh, what went... Uh, uh, what was entered into court. You know, I had read these FBI documents. And at one point, the guys were uh, in two cars staking out Gretchen Whitmer's house. And the second car was supposed to be uh, looking out to see if they were being tailed by police officers. There were two federal informant or or law enforcement assets in the car that didn't know each other. Yeah. And it was supposed to be looking out for tails. And two different assets, unknowns to each other, were in that car. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know, this, this entire idea of, you know, yeah, like this entrapment or you know trying to wind people up to commit crimes in order to stop them in order to look like heroes in order to get your precious little promotion in order to get more funds how much of this is like also ending up you know happening right and, yeah. and yeah. what's you the, know, what's the how, tangible like, human cost of this right being the and, way and, that you go about like i said attempting to entrap someone 
but at what but then what if it goes a, sideways right <laughs> and actually happens well and the thing is it, it obviously does yeah fairly often and you know i don't know anyway yeah it's 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 a real shame i mean <clears throat> we obviously have a tendency to to sort of devolve into that you know aspect of these big events that's i'm sure you can tell by now that that's sort of our thing it's definitely evan's thing but uh yeah. again like at the end of the day like what is it 19 kids are dead and two adults or something like that and it's, and it's, it's not it's, the first time it's and 19 little kids little kids these are children these yeah. are and the again future not to of say that country, it's right the f- for any innocent person right. to get shot but like but, i mean like what the fuck are they supposed to, to do how do you they have no you, recourse how do you look at this as someone who you know accepts money from from the gun lobby how do you look at this and not just feel like the worst piece of shit on the planet? You know? And yeah, and they, somehow the, the, the gun cult has got themselves convinced that it's anything but gun gun control. You know? Well, yeah, so I mean, look at, I, look at, I'm not, I'm not sure get, that they have themselves convinced. It's just they make money off of it, so they don't give well, a Well, the, the politicians, <laughs> I think, yeah. But I'm also talking about all the, the people that are just regular Joes like you and me. Joes oh, yeah. and Janes and, and, and Jerry's. I guess I'll use Jerry as my gender-neutral name. Yeah, uh, that's it. That uh, they they um, foam at the mouth over this stuff and rabidly... You know, I know multiple people that are going to have that opinion, you know, when I go to work next. And um, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's so sad that, like, you can't even be capable of any kind of defensive thinking when something this wretched occurs. And it's like there are plenty of countries, like you were making you know, mention of Canada before, Switzerland, you know, has surprisingly lax gun laws. There are lots of gun owners and gun enthusiasts in Switzerland. This doesn't happen there. Uh, Japan, you can, believe it or not, you can buy a gun in Japan, but to get a gun in Japan, you have to jump through hoops, man. Like, it it is a prolonged and heavily scrutinized process. You have to get uh, multiple character witnesses from your neighbors. Like, you don't get to pick. They interview your neighbors and shit. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if there's any su- su- suspicion that you might be some sort of uh, a violent element in society, you're done. Like, you're never going to get one. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they have their own problems with violent crime, but nothing on the scale that you see here. Yeah. And um, that's a heavy, heavily populated, densely populated country. You'd think that that stuff would happen if that was all it took, was just people being close together, you know, and having yeah. mental health issues. Talk about a country with a history of stressed people going into school and work. Uh, yeah, so why and, and America s- is not that heavily no. populated. At least a no. lot of parts of it are. Some are. No, yeah. Like, have, like, uh, like population density, I mean. Our coasts are. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really it. And so, anyway, I, I don't necessarily think we need to go too much further into this, but yeah. it's it's I f- we felt like it was something that had to be addressed because, you know, it's it's... It's just become such an accepted part of our society, and people are so yeah. complacent. You know, I was talking to my dad earlier, like, in any sane society, hearing about something like this should be the worst thing you hear all year. It should be it's so... A, but we've had we've heard it each of the last, like, three weeks. I know. and But <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, you hear... Yeah. If you hear this... No, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. 19 children shot to death. I know. Yeah. Um, but I'm just finishing yeah. my point. Yeah. That should be the most outrageous thing that you can fathom. And instead, it's like, we'll probably forget this specific incident. Or, yeah, or whatever, it'll fade weeks. into the, the, the milieu of, of yeah. um, other equally 
fucking wretched things yeah, Par- that have happened. Parkland already happened. So yeah. It was the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that, and I think that's like one of the most insidious parts of this. And I think one of the things that like I think it's also really important, to sort of organize, you know, community organize, organize politically, organize with other people that are like minded of you is like when I saw this happen. Once you know, I kind of got over. You know, I, I have a difficult time, like, hearing about, like, children being harmed or hurt in ways like this. You know, I tend to, I have a pretty kind of tough uh, demeanor. I obviously read about and talk about this stuff a lot just with the podcast. But it's the, once it gets to, like, children, like, little kids, it's very difficult for me. So, like, once that kind of, like, shock and, like, sadness wore away, the only feeling that was left was this isn't going to change anything. Like, you know, I mean, like, this helplessness yeah. about it is, like, this is just a part of life here like, like nothing is going to happen we're going to have the same people say the same things and then and that's one of the things too like why i think like democrats really like to go back to well you should vote in november is because come november you know for some people obviously people that were directly impacted this will still be painful but for everybody else there will have been a million other traumatizing events you know like culturally traumatizing not necessarily yeah. personally but culturally traumatizing events that will forget about this yeah. and that it won't have that same visceral reaction within you that it will and it's kind of like you know and that's what was left once you kind of get over the shock of it is that this is not going to change anything and that's what's i think that's one of the most damaging things about this and that honestly sometimes i wonder if this is sort of by design that you know we live in a country that is so consistently traumatized and small pockets traumatized of people and you know spreads throughout everybody else that it's like like there was a school shooting last week there was the buffalo one two weeks ago yeah you know what i mean it's like every fucking week this shit happens and it's like how do you keep up the visceral response when this is just a constant stream yep anyway it's it's uh emotionally exhausting so um yeah, and, and you know what? Uh, I was about to spit out some sort of cliche response, but I think for me, the note I'd like to end on is that, like, it's pretty clear that, like, thoughts or even better thoughts and prayers are not really going to fix the problem. And, um, you know, obviously, I hope you can tell how kind of affected we both are by this, but, you know, there needs to be more concrete action than, you know, folks posting about it on their instagram stories which you know i'm also guilty of but um at what level most people have right it's like but it's like, like, like we, we, of... we live in a country that everybody empowered does nothing but no matter what we do everybody empowered just tells us to fuck off yeah yeah there was a what so i think it was the onion they uh it was like yeah you know quoting mitch mcconnell it was like all right, get your crying and, and shit out of the way or whatever the fuck you're going to do and then sit the fuck down because we ain't doing shit. And yeah. it's like, yeah. That's, uh, that's... No, no legislation will be discussed until after right. the Memorial Day recess for Oof. the Senate. Our big, beautiful senators are tired. They're very tired. They work 100 days a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very tired, and they just they just want to grill. It's they're in, they're in the grill mindset, you know what I mean? Yeah.
at Camp David. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. uh, yeah. So that's that. We just wanted to kind of touch base on that a little bit. Um, yep. I promise you the rest of the episode is kind of tonally the exact opposite. <laughs> so we're going to try to get ourselves out of, uh, out of tragedy mode. And this is kind of a silly one. Um, heavily inspired by uh, our last episode, which was, of course, about uh, Falun Gong. Um, as I was, uh, and you know, you'll see as we get into the episode, I have a longer history with this particular subject. Um, but as I was reading about, you know, Li Hongzhi and all of his uh, his dubious claims of magical abilities stemming from his uh, sort of pseudo martial art, um, I sort of stumbled upon some other really great examples of similar figures who, thankfully, for the most part. Uh, are not uh, quite so embedded in uh, far-right politics and potentially, like, CIA ops, but who have <laughs> similarly uh, duped the world with their uh, proclaimed uh, physical capabilities and, and sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of spiritual and, and energy powers. Um, yeah, that's and, right, folks. We're talking about Steven Seagal. Oh, well, so. we actually are going to talk about Steven Seagal. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Steven Seagal is is in this episode because he's like the most famous example and one that I can just discuss endlessly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so... <laughs> um, yeah, so we're just going to talk about some interesting characters and sort of the cultural foundations of where some of this comes from and, and, and why I find it so fascinating and hopefully just have some laughs at the expense of some uh, some real... Some real some dingbats. Um, so, like I said, we're going to talk about, like, quack martial artists, um, and I'm not a martial artist, and I'm not some, like, uh, you know, MMA dude, you know, they love to kind of shit on anything that's not MMA, um, and for good reason, I guess, um, but I'm sure that, that the history of sort of fraudulent, uh, sort of mythical, mystical, magical martial arts dudes goes back as old as martial arts go back right um i do think that a lot of the controversy surrounding recent stuff wouldn't really be as known without a the explosion of the internet where you can like just like find videotape of what what some of these insane like uh masters are doing in their little strip mall dojos Mm -hmm. um but also you know with the rise of you know practical martial arts and mixed martial arts suddenly you have a bunch of people who are who are actually diving into the science of like what works and what doesn't work what is just fancy for you know the movies and what would actually help you in a fight um and so really in some sense the it seems like the vast majority of martial arts outside of like the big four which are like jujitsu muay thai wrestling and boxing are at best practically ineffective and at worst like like garbage mumbo jumbo um, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's a lot of like really legitimate, like old school, like karate schools and stuff that like, you know, that's like legit and it'll keep you physically fit and whatever. But, you know, unless you're fighting someone who has no idea what they're doing, it's probably not going to help you out much. But there yeah. are, there are some schools of martial arts that kind of take things further than, uh, teaching, you know, dubious techniques that might not actually help you into territory that gets, you know, gets super culty, uh, super macho and honestly just like downright hysterical i spend a good deal of my time watching videos of like these chi masters and all their brainwashed like idiot students 
who are just like, oh my yeah. god, I could feel Sensei's energy. Like, yeah, I bet. I bet you could feel it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Coursing through your body. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have at least some degree of, like, first-hand experience with this. Um, like, I studied, you know, Kenpo Karate in a strip mall. Um, right. And it was Kenpo or Kenpo. Uh, you see, it's spelled both ways. Um, really, I've never seen it because yeah, yeah, I did Kenpo. Yeah, I think my school actually spelled it Kenpo, but um, huh. I don't know. You see, it's spelled both ways. Uh, in hindsight, it was like the hokiest shit ever. Like I don't yeah. know what your experience was, but like looking back on it, oh, I, do I hated not... it. That was my experience. I ended up hating it too, and I just like stopped take you know doing it, and they wouldn't progress me past like blue belt i think and finally yeah i, I, I got up to green so yeah oh yeah it was what pretty saying high. is you could take me yeah that's right yeah uh <laughs> the next step was brown yeah know, for and then after that one. brown is one step before black belt yeah so. yes that's fewer degrees of separation from being a black belt yeah. which is I, I always laugh I could, I could do my hook kicks yeah oh you know. yeah you could get that uh, leg I, up there Oh yeah! Oh yeah, dude! Yeah, I could kick the shit out of some other kid in the chest. Nice, you know? dude. Um, it's it's always funny. Like you walk into one of those those dojos, and you see like you know eight, nine, ten year old black belts, and it's like how how legit is that belt? What does that really represent? You know? Oh yeah, d- yeah. Is that just because mom so, makes like, her payments on time? Like it's yeah, no. Because it was the same thing. Like I fucking. I barely knew what the fuck I was doing, and I was like a green belt, and I yeah. only did it for like two years. And there were kids that did it for like a year longer than me. They were like brown belts, yeah. and then like got up to black belts, and they were in like sixth grade. But like they were like, I went to school with them, they were pussies. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like I was like, this kid can't take anybody in a fight. Like the fuck, like they call him a black belt, but that just yeah, it just means that his parents are willing to pay like huh. hundred twenty bucks a week. I I remember I used to I worked at a PF Chang's when I was like seventeen. Yeah. And uh, we had, you know, one of our managers was this guy, Chris, who was the nicest guy. Like, big, big dude, good sense of humor, was always, like, easygoing. And I remember one day, I used to smoke weed before work, like, just way too much. And uh, I did the same thing at that age. of course. And so, you know, I'm, like, at work, and I'm feeling giggly. And he starts talking about, uh, the subject of martial (laughs) arts come up, and he starts talking about how his son is a black belt. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, he's really good, you know, He, he knows his stuff. And I'm like, how old is your kid? And he's like, yeah, he's 12, you know, and he worked really hard, and, and you know, I'm really proud of him for, like, all the self-defense. I'm like, yeah, but but you know it's not, like, a real black belt, though, right? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, like, no, I mean, he did, like, his boards and his forms. I was like, yeah, but, like... That's not a real Well, black and I said to him, I was like, yeah, but, like, I could fuck your son up, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I don't know, man. And I was like, Chris, he's a 12-year-old. I could fuck your kid up. Yeah, you're like six foot four. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, probably not a thing any father wants to hear from some I know, idiot. Th- like kid. a dude, like a six foot four, seventeen year old. That's just like I could kick the shit out of your twelve year old. All, all I'm saying, dude, is if he's got something I want, I'm having it. If yeah. he's, if he's, if I yeah. want him, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So whatever. So I, you know, I like I said, I did it. Evan did it. Um, I don't know about you, but nobody ever force choked me. Like I didn't have to like. It was never, I wasn't one of those places, but they're way more prevalent than I realized, like, reading about this yeah. and what, there are so many places where, like, that just quickly devolves into, like, yes, Sensei has power over his chi, and he can <laughs> deflect blows with a, uh, his, his, his breath technique. I did have a guy, uh, uh, named Hanshi, uh, and that was his name, that was nice. his title. He did talk about breath control a lot, how you should breathe with your belly. 
Um, hmm. But anyway, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these uh, these Jedi Masters. Um, because I think, you know, we obviously talked a lot about dark shit at the beginning. Um, so I thought maybe some lighter lighter material would be good. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about, about melted brain fucking... <laughs> Jedi Warriors. Um, Hell yeah. So when I was a kid, and I don't know, were you into like martial arts movies when you were a kid? Um, I mean, I loved Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, definitely. okay. So that uh, that was my yeah, favorite type I would of say, stuff. Yeah, like you know, I wasn't like uh, like a huge martial arts guy. Like I definitely watched them. I liked them. You know, I liked uh, Ong Bak, mm-hmm. shit like that. So yeah. like I've always like liked them, but it's never been like my thing. I definitely went through a pretty heavy phase. Like I had yeah. a lot of. Like Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee movies and Jet Li. Well, I got a lot of Bruce Lee movies now. You but. do, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, like Evan said, Crouching Tiger, that was like, they call that genre wuxia, right? And it was originally yeah. novels. But um, that's where you get really into where you see the people flying around uh, on the treetops and, and running up walls. Running across, and, yeah. Running yeah, across like roofs and Like blocking arrows and... Um, Spinning you know. a bunch in the air like they're a figure yeah. skater. And it's awesome. It's the coolest shit in the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a fucking awesome shit that's, movie. That's a perfect film. I, I love yeah. that movie. I've seen it so many times. Um, side note, if you've never seen it like, and you think it's going to be some hokey thing, like that's a beautiful fil- film. Um, you should definitely go watch it. Yeah, but, shit fucks. Um, also, like, at this point, you know, I'm, when I'm seeing, like... Um, a lot of these movies, and, and particularly the more, like, quote-unquote realistic stuff, like, where it's not quite Crouching Tiger, it's more like, you know, Jet Li-type shit, which is still full of wires and, and, and mm-hmm. impossible or totally ridiculous techniques, but um, I didn't have access to, like, critiques of that, right? And so I, I had more of a sense that a lot of this stuff was, you know, like, more achievable, right? Um like seeing a little five foot two dude, I think I forget what movie it is, but there's some Jet Li movie where like he gets like pushed into like a UFC cage and fucks up like five real UFC fighters and like you know, yeah. Tito Ortiz and whoever these guys were in the early two thousands. And in the movie, like it, you know, they make it look good. Like he like jacks these dudes up with the power of his like mystical ability. And now since then, I've I saw an interview with him while I was because uh, I was trying to remember. I already forget what movie that was, but he was talking about it. And he was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. He was like, any one of these guys would kill me in real life. 
<laughs> I, I thought that was funny because you know he obviously knows what he's capable of. Um, I digress, uh, but you know, so I didn't have this sense that like these things were total bullshit, right? I didn't go into this just like skeptical of martial arts. Um, but you know, as I was taking my own classes, I realized that most of the you know karate masters or taekwondo masters running around are just like chubby older dudes with with weird hair and um you know they are more focused on kind of looking good in competition and and you know breaking boards and silly shit and it's it's just not you know as mystical magical as maybe i wanted it to be um i still enjoy those films but you know it kind of shatters uh the illusion of of that that sort of mystical kung fu power um but my first sort of run-in with like culty like culty karate <laughs> is there was this little I guess dojo in my hometown uh, and it mm-hmm. was on one of the main like routes through the center of like the, the business district of town and it always caught my eye because they had this big like sign um, and it said uh, Grandmaster Iron Kings Academy of Um Young Do uh-huh. which is like I'm like I've never heard of that. I mean, the guy who taught me Kempo was named Craig. So mm-hmm. you see somebody named yeah, Grandmaster. Yeah, mine was Steve. My, my sensei was Steve. So who do you who do you take in a, you know, you're a kid and you're like choosing who's going to teach you to fight. You take Steve and Craig or do you take Grandmaster Iron Kim? Yeah. You pick that guy. Like, yeah. that's the guy that you think knows the real mystical secrets Iron of Kim, the Iron Kim, dude. Grandmaster Iron Kim. Yeah, Iron Kim, Grandmaster of <laughs> the, the Um Young Do. So... Grandmaster Iron Kim, uh, I became kind of, like, obsessed with the idea of, I wanted to go there, but, you know, my parents had just spent all this money for me to do Kempo with, with Craig, and I didn't stick to it, so they're like, no, we're not paying for you to go to this, and so I kind of get over it. Grandmaster Iron Kim style. Yep. <laughs> so we're gonna dive into this a little bit, because Grandmaster Iron Kim is a trip, but when I was older, I, like, remembered it, and I kind of looked it up, and this is, like, when I was in college, and I think this is, like, my first real McDojo experience. Yeah. Um, side note, like shout out to there's a, a really great YouTube channel and Instagram account called McDojo Life. Um, Mick like McDonald's Dojo Life. Yeah, um, you've you've been steady uh, following that for like ten years. No, no, like like two years, but they, way more than two, around. dude. You it is way before COVID that you were sending me McDojo Life. Oh, okay. Well, COVID, you know, maybe so maybe since 2018. Way before. That's like four years, Evan. Um, way before. I don't even have an active Instagram account 10 years ago. Yes, but you did. So- then you deleted it, and then you got a new one. Oh, that was 10 years ago? Yeah, dude. Damn. Whatever, dude. It was like, like 2012, stuff. bro. Well, I didn't know about it back then. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, but that's a super awesome page where they... they So they highlight a lot of the silly stuff, and they'll show like you know a lot of these like chi warriors. Like Somebody will come up and try to punch them, and they just like hold up their hand, and then suddenly the guy like has a seizure and collapses. Um so everybody's playing along, but they also highlight like other stuff, like abusive practices of karate instructors. Because there's also a lot of like martial arts instructors, I should say, who you know will just like full contact beat the shit out of their students and like claim that it's like part of their training. And you're just like, you just like to fuck up kids, don't you? But at least I guess that's more constructive than some other things. I don't know, dude. I just like so this Iron Kim. You can tell this dude is off on his own over here because he's just yeah. wearing. Like, various, in some of these pictures... Oh, you scroll down? Up, yeah, he's just straight up in tracksuits. Yeah. And some posing. of these pictures just standing, like, in his backyard. 
Yeah. Like, next to his pool. He's, like, out in, like, he's, in some of them he's, like, on a rock in what looks like a yeah. quaint Asian forest, but then, yeah, and in with others pictures he's just, like, of, that have maybe four pixels total. Yeah, they're old. This website's been the same for a long time. Um, it's and exactly you can tell the, the only other person nearby is the one taking the picture. Mm-hmm. He might even have a camera set up on a tripod. Maybe he yeah. Um, but so, whatever, regardless. Uh, so, the, the first thing, uh, about Grandmaster Iron Cam, so we're gonna kind of talk a little bit about the webpage here. Um, <laughs> right off the bat, the first thing it says is, Over the centuries, very few individuals have ever achieved Grandmaster Iron Kim's level of skill and ability. Many say how good they are, but the true measure of skill and ability can only be seen through demonstration. Since 1972, millions of people in the United States have benefited from traditional mudo. Um, and then there's this picture, which is always the picture they show of him doing this, like, I mean, he's doing, like, a pretty sweet-looking jumping sidekick. And that's, like, his, that's, like, his signature move. And they say that. Um, and so this picture, right, it reportedly shows him doing a sidekick off the edge of, uh, I think this is either an 18 or a 9-story building. They talk about him doing both and landing on the ground completely unscathed. But also what he's apparently able to do is uh, he's, he's able to, um, well, so I guess they call that the ability of doing this, like, sidekick uh, at any distance. He calls it Kyonggong Sulbop. Um, so they say he jumped off an 11-story building and then did it again on an 8-story building, landing uninjured. Um, what I really like is that in this picture, they conveniently crop out the building that he's on. Well, so they say, they're like, you can see in the very bottom corner, the the corner of the building, on the, the, the lower corner of the roof, but there's no, who knows. There's no indication. He could very well just be kind of like on a hill, yeah. which down the hill is another building, because there is a building in the background. They and I think about... this is framed just a way to look like, wow, it looks like he's jumping from a building just as high as that other one, but... There's some um, tricky work going on here. Yeah. So, the the way that they describe his jump kick, which I think is the Kyunggong Sul Bop, and yep. something else called Nae Gong, uh, they claim that he can jump straight up in the air, while in the air locate the direction and target that he wants to attack, extend his leg, and then that's why he's got his arms out in front of him like he's casting a spell. He's extending mm -hmm. his chi energy and deciding which direction his body is going to move. Does that make sense? So he claims to be able to jump straight in the air, put his leg out, and then choose a direction and fly in that direction. That, that dude, can you teach me that? Cause well, that, right, that's honestly, a Street that... Fighter move. Like, he's, he's, and so that's why all the pictures are of him doing jump kicks, because he says, like, I can jump straight up, and I can shoot in any direction I want. That I is, will... honestly, dude, respect. Yeah. That fucking rules. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. Um, and I actually just lost the page here. There's... Oh, come on. I'm using my trackpad right now. It's the absolute worst. So, yeah, it, just in case that. there's any weird sound shit this episode, uh, I'm recording from my parents' house. I, I, I'm hanging here. I had to come up this way to get my car fixed, which, as I'm sure you all know, is the best shit ever. Um, so, if you scroll down, Evan, below all the pictures of all the yep. people... Um, Body transformation. There's a really great... Strength. There's like this, shatter. You can look at uh, a few of Grandmaster Iron Kim's achievements. Um, at the age of seven, 
Grandmaster Iron Kim began his life's path in the study and practice of martial arts. To achieve perfection of his martial arts movements, Grandmaster Iron Kim many times chose the solitude of the mountain and ocean areas of Asia, just Asia, to practice the forms and techniques that he oh. learned. Although he Don't learned from many bad. qualified teachers, a majority of the knowledge that Grandmaster Iron Kim possesses was passed down through Grandmaster Wang Po, the seventh generation Grandmaster of Yin Yang Do. Um, he, so he, the whole thing with Um Yang Do, he claims to be a master of eight different martial arts, and he teaches you all of them, and then you can like move your body with chi energy. Um, he also claims to be the... the uh, in 1956, uh, he competed in the All-Asia Championship... Uh, which, you know, I'm sure no one's ever heard of, uh, and, and was proclaimed, uh, uncontested champion of all Asia after besting all other, uh, you know, comers. <laughs> um, cool. he also claims to be able, there's some, there's some move that he can do. I forget what this is. What do they say? Oh, well, it doesn't I, really matter. I really like the title, just Uncontested Champion of All Asia. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it says, uh, of the hundreds of the hundreds of millions of people who practice martial arts in the 20th century, Grandmaster Iron Kim is one of fewer than ten practitioners that has achieved unprecedented fame and recognition for being the most skilled in Mudo. Mudo just, I guess, means, like, martial arts. Um, but he just has all these, like, whack statistics. So, whatever. We don't need to go on about this particular guy forever, because I want to talk about a couple other things here. But this is just, like, the first of these, like, weird schools that I, like, learned about. And it was... It ha it's not there anymore, but it happened to be in my hometown. Um, and then, of course, you know, you read all these other stories about Um Young Do, and everybody's like, oh, no, it's a cult. Like, this dude's nuts. Like, I don't know how to fight. I just got hazed the whole time I was there. It's a wicked big scam. Um, all the people there are fucking insane. They, like, worship this dude. So, you know, that's sort of the, the general gist of what I'm trying to get across. They give up yeah. this idea that, like, yeah, I'm actually probably, like, one of the ten best uh, fighters in the world, and, uh, you know, I, I, yep. can, I, can, I wouldn't call it magic, but I can do some pretty incredible things with my body. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can just jump in the air and then sort of, you know, I have like a targeting system uh, that I'm able to access and I just point myself and I'm fired like a like a howitzer yeah. at my target. Feet first. <laughs> I get blasted <laughs> out like a cannon, bro. Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> um, here, give me one second. This dude rolls. I like him. Yeah, he's awesome. So, <clears throat> let's see here. Ba -ba -ba. Also, I just I just scrolled down and realized that the picture that's at the top is what you said before. It shows a little bit more where you can see the corner of roof. Yeah. Where it points to it, and then just in case you were still confused, they put an R in a circle over this like yeah. tiny little corner of like concrete. Yeah. Corner of roof. You can see here labeled R for roof. Yeah. Um. So obviously, you know, this is no, not as many people have heard of, of Grandmaster Iron Kim, but it was just sort of like my first example of one of these like crazy uh, magical sensei type figures. And um, it definitely sort of piqued my interest in this sort of thing, right? The idea that like, do people really believe this? Like, because most normal people, I feel like you look at this page and you're not going to buy it. You're just going to be like, there's no way this dude can like change directions mid-jump and and do all this shit like he looks like a frail old man like i don't know but people do it's it people buy into it 
Um, people will believe kind of anything. Um, but it goes way beyond, like, these, like, my little hometown weirdo in, 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 uh, anywheresville, Massachusetts. Um, you know, there are, there are people that are, you know, relatively successful that are this same level of cracked in the head. relatively because as we said at the start of the episode you know steven seagal is one of the all-time great bullshit artists uh yeah, <laughs> and also uh noted uh sexual predator uh apparently oh, he's... Uh, like uh many times alleged yeah from like predator. 96 through uh, up to and now. including uh sexual slavery yeah yeah and i mean we're not gonna go too much into that because i want to kind of try to keep it light today but he's a piece of shit yeah. um so if you're familiar with Steven Seagal, um, you probably know him as the guy with the weird ponytail who like looks like the least likely action film star ever. Like, and would you believe it, his action movies have almost no action. Yeah, I mean, some of them do, like, uh, Under Siege is actually, like, pretty okay. It's, I think it's his only mm-hmm. movie with a positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's, like, a 60%. Yeah. It's, like, barely, barely yeah. a red tomato. Yeah, he, he was pretty famous for his films in the 90s, having, like, 10 to 20 total minutes of fighting over, like, 90-plus minute run times. Yeah, and it's less now because, like, yeah, you because can't, can't physically even get out of a chair. do anything. But he claims to, like, you know, consult uh, MMA fighters and, like, teach them how to do special techniques and stuff. Um, he made a string yeah, of like shitty kick somebody movies. in the shins. Uh, but so his 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 initial claim to fame is is as an Aikido master. Um, and so like say all you want, I know like MMA dudes like shit on Aikido and it doesn't like work, whatever. But it is like a legitimate quote unquote martial art that's like old. And he really is like a seventh Dan black belt, whatever that means, um, in Aikido. Um, and so it's not that he's like lying about knowing any martial arts, but and in fact he was actually the first uh, American to be allowed to conduct classes in Aikido in Japan. Um, so, you know, within that community, he was at one point considered, like, a respected member. Um, but the thing about him is that he's also, like, batshit insane. Uh, he claims to have been a CIA asset, which at this point, like, I just believe. He said that he was, like, brought in to do, like, secret covert ninja missions for, like, the CIA and the FBI before he ever was famous. And um, he's legitimately, like, boys with Vladimir Putin. He's got dual uh, or triple u.s serbian and russian citizenship um claims that you know putin's the greatest leader of all time and he's a huge bullshit slinger um one of the things yeah yeah good deal gotta talk about gene labelle this is like the best story on earth so gene labelle is like an example of sort of the opposite um end of the spectrum gene labelle was a a famous early practitioner of judo and i think jujitsu and um which are you know among the more legitimate practical martial arts and like wrestling and boxing and he was just like a tough dude i think they called him mean gene labelle um 
And so his career involved a lot of stunt work and stunt coordination for movies, like choreographing fights, but mm-hmm. also doing, when he was younger, doing a lot of that stuff. Yep. Um, look him up. I mean, he, he was a, a much more of a real deal type of guy. Um, and so he was working as, I think, a stunt coordinator on one of these early Seagal movies. Now, I guess Steven Seagal is, is infamous for, like, working stiff, which is, like, a wrestling yeah. term. But he he likes to actually hit stuntmen when he's doing fights. And he, like, won't pull punches. Yeah, he and, notoriously mistreats them. Yeah, he, like, tries to physically hurt. So just, just to show that he's a tough guy. Meanwhile, these are people that are deliberately not responding because they're in a movie. Because their job depends on right, it. Right, and they're well-adjusted individuals yeah. um yeah it's also like yeah it's like a, a power dynamic situation where he can beat he can like you know beat the shit out of other people but if they fight back he would like immediately fire them yeah you know yeah. what i mean so so labelle finds out that he's been like being too rough with his guys on this set and previously like seagal reportedly had been walking around set and making all kinds of claims, like he knew that Gene LaBelle was like a submission guy, like a judo fighter and a, and a jiu-jitsu guy. And so Seagal had claimed like, well, as a 7th Dan uh, Aikido master, you become physically uh, immune to, to being choked out. Like, it's, I, you couldn't choke me out if you tried. And so LaBelle is like all pissed off at him because he hears he's being an asshole. And so he's like, I mean, we can try. Like, you, you're, yeah. willing to, you're willing to demo that? Well, and, allow me to retort. Yeah. And so, you know, he gets Seagal to agree to it. He puts him in a hold. And then Seagal's like, all right, go. And so Gene LaBelle does, and he, like, applies, like, this triangle choke. And he proceeds to just immediately choke Steven Seagal the fuck out. And the best part is that, like, the second he loses con- consciousness, apparently he just, like, shits his pants. Yeah. <laughs> and so in front of, like, all the stunt guys, Gene LaBelle just, like, jacks him up, yeah. and he just, like, craps his pants on set. Well, so... it. It was funny too. Like after that, he was like still talking shit, and um, I think it was Ronda Rousey who had like learned from Gene Labelle. Yeah, like said that she she offered to choke him out again so that he can shit his pants a second time. <laughs> right, because yeah, she had studied under James uh, under under Gene Labelle. She, yeah, and was yeah, she, and, yeah, well, she so was just like yeah, yo, how about I choke him out and he can shit his pants in front of everybody again. So the cool thing about this story, or one of the cool things, is Gene Labelle like kind of immediately distanced himself from it because yeah. he felt like the fact that this was like a thing made him made him look bad that he like mm-hmm. stooped to the level of using his legitimate techniques on this like poser. He's like he felt like he like stooped too low. And yeah. meanwhile, Steven Seagal's like, he's like a, he's a no good lying piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, he was called him a liar. Yeah, 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 he's like, I have irrefutable evidence from an eyewitness that would disprove the whole thing, which of course just like has never been. And there's like 40 people that say they were there and were like, yeah, You're no, like, he yeah, no okay, well, there's like 40 <laughs> eyewitnesses that say that you fucking shit your pants, bro. And it's funny, that like, you Gene like the fully bell. filled your pants up. Gene LaBelle, who I don't think is still alive, but he was until pretty recently, or maybe he is, I don't know, but he's old. Mm-hmm. But, um, his stance on it now is basically like, listen, like, it's sort of just like, he fucked around and found out. Like, if you're going to be a loud mouth around people that actually know what they're doing, that might get you hurt. And I think Steven now knows that. But, uh, yeah, anyway. So, can you still hear me? Yeah, for sure. Okay, I just got a weird feedback in my headphones. Um, so, yeah, so there's... That, there's... that was my that was my chi reaching out through the microphone. Yeah. I was, I was committing uh, mental warfare on you. <laughs> um... 
So, uh, this is actually where my notes kind of crap out, but there's really only a few yep. other things that I wanted to kind of talk about. Um, because, as I've said, like, this is st- stuff that still goes on. And the great part about it is that, like, in the internet age, we have, like through things like McDojo Life, we have, uh, you can watch all this stuff, and it's it's just great. And one of the most famous people right now, have you seen this guy, um, the guy who runs Dust, Detroit Urban Survival Training? No. Or Survival Tactics? So he's a, um, he's a black guy, and he wears, like, this, like, wannabe kind of tactical cops uniform yeah yeah. and his big claim to fame is that he he shows people uh ways to survive like someone pulling a gun on you and like pulling a knife on you but he mm-hmm. he pulls these insane maneuvers that just like you would just get shot if you tried to do any of this right and so that's sort of the other more dangerous side of it is that not only are you like kind of being a charlatan and tricking people and profiting off of like lying about what you're able to do uh, but some of these people, you know, if they're actively, like, teaching folks and, like, selling these skills as marketable self-defense techniques, you're going to get someone killed. And so mm-hmm. this guy, I forget his name, but the dust guy, um, he, he's been called on it numerous times. And people, like, try to replicate his stuff with, like, prop guns. And just 100% of the time, like, it ends up with the person being, you know, quote-unquote shot. And... Mm-hmm. uh there's all sorts of stuff like this. Like, if you go out and you tell someone that, like, you can deflect an attacker who's coming at you with a knife by using your body's internal energy, uh, that person's going to get stabbed. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they're going to be really probably upset with you uh, yeah, for all the thousands of dollars you spent, you know, and, you do, and God forbid you're on tape using your mumbo-jumbo and then someone sticks a knife in your ribs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, anyway... It's, it's also just, like, a dangerous a dangerous thing to do. Um, the, last, the last and possibly greatest uh, of these characters that I really want to talk about um, is a guy who was really big... Actually, hold on one second here. Um, a guy who was really big... What I really like about this is all of these guys could be, like different tim heidecker characters or something yeah oh absolutely these guys <laughs> like, would all work in that kind of um that kind of bullshit of artist comedy. territory yeah yeah um so the last guy that i want to talk about and wow we're actually like hitting an hour um yeah. <laughs> quote unquote the deadliest man alive uh, uh a man who was born john timothy Keon in uh, 1939 but became most famous as count juan rafael dante uh, a famous uh, actual pra- practitioner of martial arts um, who made a name for himself. Did you look him up? Did you look him up? Kawan Rafael Dante. Yeah. So there's all kinds of crazy shit about him. Um, but he he is one of if the... If nothing else, he came up with like the greatest bullshit artist name ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so his, his what made him famous um, is that... He started, uh, he became well known for posting these insane advertisements in, like, the backs of comic books, uh, and he was the master of a school called, uh, the Black Dragon Fighting Society, um, yep. which claims to teach the deadliest forbidden martial arts on Earth. Uh, anybody who knows about any of this, like, mumbo-jumbo martial arts stuff has probably heard of Dim Mach. Uh, Dim Mach is one of the many names for, like, 
the famous secret death touch. Uh, if you've seen <laughs> Kill Bill, the, the five-point palm exploding heart technique, way better name. Um, but yep. there's all these sort of... Or if you're a fan of bro metal, five-finger death punch. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think that's probably based on the same thing. Yeah, um, I, I think it comes from the uh, from Kill Bill. I think so, too. I mean, that's a sweet name. If you knew how to do something called the five-point palm exploding heart technique, I mean, that's great. That's awesome. But yeah. so this guy claims that he did. He called it Dim Mach, and he claimed that by attacking you with a certain amount of force at certain points in your body, he could paralyze you or kill you uh, with a single strike. Um, and he is sort of like the the origin point of a lot of these other guys, because he was around a lot earlier. Um, he was a legitimate karate black belt uh, at a time when karate was, or and martial arts in general, were very new to the U.S. And by all accounts, in his early years, um, he was, you know, respected by his peers. He really did devote himself to getting himself in really good physical shape, uh, getting himself to a point where he was really confident um, in, in performing legitimate martial arts, but he was also, like, a massive narcissist and, like, mm -hmm. potentially a sociopath and became obsessed with uh, running, like, really intense full-contact martial yeah. arts tournaments. Um, and this was in uh, in the Chicago, Illinois area. Um, yeah. He claimed that his love for full-contact fighting came from time that he spent fighting in um, top-secret kumite tournaments, uh, death, death matches in Asia. Uh, he claimed to have killed, like, 30 guys, uh, most of them with his bare hands. Um, and he said that, you know, he'd spent all this time fighting in these death matches and realized, like, the true potential of the fighting deadly arts and wanted to bring that back to the United States. He was, like, a, a an even less realistic version of the evil Cobra Kai sensei and karate kid. So he's mm -hmm. like, he like encourages his students to like be aggressive and beat up on each other. And, um, he did this really awesome stunt like early in, in his career. And by the way, uh, once he changed his name to count Dante, he claimed it was because his family, uh, had escaped from imperialist Spain, uh, you know, decades before, and mm -hmm. were forced to change their name so they wouldn't be hunted down by, like, the king's royal assassins, uh, but that he was, you know, actually a count, and his name was Juan Rafael Dante. Uh, mm -hmm. He had the best beard you've ever fucking seen, also. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's wild. Um, yeah, swag. Yeah, yeah. But so he, he um, had performed a stunt early in his career where he had, you know, his own dojo, and he was really trying to, like, get a name for himself... And so he, he said, he went down to, like, one of the local butchers. Everybody knows Chicago is or definitely was uh, in, like, the 60s still, like, the meatpacking capital of the country. Um, so he goes and buys a live bull, and he claims that using his secret death touch technique, this bull is going to get killed in front of a live stage audience mm -hmm. uh, to demonstrate the power of his ability. Um, he's not going to do it, though. He's going to have one of his, like, brown belts do it. Mm -hmm. And so he convinces this this kid, it's like a 17-year-old kid, he's like, uh, you are going to show the power of my amazing, my amazing techniques by killing a bull with your bare hands with one strike. And the kid's like, I can do that? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> and so this kid gets all amped up, and he's like, fuck yeah. I'm going to fucking kill this bull with my techniques. He's, like, practicing his, his strikes and whatever. And meanwhile, Dante's, like, driving around town, and he's, like, 
advertising, you're talking through like a bullhorn with big signs like "Come this date, this time, whatever." You're gonna see me. Uh, my student fucking killed his bull, and so he gets the place packed full, and then of course is like, "No, the, the bull, the bull, uh, the the." The local animal cruelty agency called the police and they, they repossessed the bull at the last minute. So it can't happen. It was never going to fucking happen, obviously. But yeah, he had all well, these people's I, attention. I was worried that this was going to end up with the kid getting killed by a bull. Well, it would have. If he put yeah. a kid in a ring with a bull and told him to slap it, he would that kid would have gotten killed. Um, but no, it was he was never going to have the kid try to hit a bull. It was just all marketing. right? And so he became known for that. He would put these insane advertisements in... Uh, and I want to use one of them as the image, so you guys will all see the image for this episode, um, is they're just wild, you know? All the secrets of the ancient Far Eastern fighting arts will be yours if you study Dante, which is what he called his style. I, I see, yeah. Um, the Dante system. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, also he was, he did know karate, but... Um, the, the, the other big thing about him that was really cool... Um, is what's called the the <laughs> the dojo wars. Um, he had this habit of like really trying to stir up conflict between the his uh, black dragon uh, fighting society um, <clears throat> and other local martial arts schools. And one in particular that he had like a real problem with was this place that had. It, an even better name. They were called the Green Dragon Society's Black Cobra Hall. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, so the, the group is the Green Dragon Society, and their dojo is the Black Cobra Hall. So he, he decided he wanted to do a dojo storm, uh, or a dojo assault, which is like a real thing, and that used to be kind of more common, like, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago in, in Asia. Schools would fight each other to try to prove, like, which system was better. Um, all very kind of tacky, but... He gets, like, a few of his guys, most of whom are, like, 17, whatever, um, and they they storm this, this dojo, um, and the only other adult who's with him is this guy named uh, Jim Konsevic, who's also, you know, a sensei, karate sensei in, in his sort of circle of friends, and they run in. Uh, they claim to be police officers, so they get let in the front door, and then they just start fucking shit up. They start, like, breaking the place, challenging everybody to one-on-one to -on -one fights, um, and in the in the, the the midst of this, everybody's so freaked out that one of the instructors at the Black Cobra Hall takes a samurai sword off the wall and fucking stabs Jim Konsevic in the stomach and, like, fucking kills oh him, God. and he, he bleeds out on the floor and dies. So, of course, they run away, and, uh... uh Count Dante gets brought up on, on, on charges and is ultimately acquitted. Um, the judge is like, it's everybody's fault. What are you idiots doing? You shouldn't be fighting like this. Um, but <clears throat> whatever. Also, uh, his defense lawyer in that trial is a guy named Robert Cooley, who's, who's uh, a famous former mob lawyer. Um, so Count Dante is like a minor blip on the radar in his story, but he defended him yeah. in his trial. Um, and he also is convinced that uh, the that Count Dante was the mastermind behind the the 1974 uh, Chicago Purolator Vault robbery, um, where 4.3 million dollars was stolen from this uh, what was it a pur water purification? I don't remember, but um, mm -hmm. there was this famous at the time like million dollar heist in Chicago, and Robert Cooley intimated that because uh, at this point 
um, what's his name? Count Dante had died. He died in like 1976. Um, he had a he had an ulcer. He died. He had an ulcer in his stomach, and he bled to death and died. Yep. And uh, so after he was dead, his lawyer was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the guy behind that bank heist." Um, Damn. So yeah, he was just like a wild and crazy guy who who he rules. Yeah, he rules pretty hard. Um, anyway, I don't even really know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> Count Dante's a man. You should look him up. He was uh, he was my favorite uh, sort of character that I yeah. uncovered in this. And you really have to see what he looks like. I, I've never seen anybody that looks like this guy. Yeah, he it's is. Insane. He is a strange looking cat. He's he. You know what he looks like? He looks like um. The Hardy Boys from WWE, like if they were around in like the '60s, you know, he's got Wait, like, or he looks like anybody that like, he's like a Levan type guy. Yeah, you know? yeah, just like or, a total or, and he has very much that whole like aesthetic that like you see with like Process Church stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, he's got very like real like hot topic vibes, real real edgelord vibes. Yeah. Um, and, and anyway. the coolest fucking ads on it, like the yeah. The, oh, they're awesome, they're awesome. Well, I try to find a way to show yeah. you guys some of them because they're or just I mean whatever. You're adults, you can look them up. Count Dante, yeah. and they'll come right up. Um, this guy rules. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty fucking sweet. So yeah, I mean, I guess the moral of the story here, uh, uh, beyond just like telling funny anecdotes about weirdos who pretend they can do magical kung fu. Um, I think that this is really indicative of, like, a bigger legitimate systemic problem wherein, like, we've got a society wherein some of our most vulnerable and most gullible people are constantly being hoodwinked uh, into spending money and basically joining these cults. Um, And then they get themselves in a situation where, like, like I said, if somebody actually pulls a gun on you and you think that you're, you know, a a gold belt in, in... magical chi manipulation or that you've like learned the secret technique to pull a gun out of someone's hands before they shoot you um you're gonna end up dead and and you know the blood is sort of on these people's hands who perpetrate mm-hmm. this ridiculous sort of belief just stick to the movies and if you want to learn how to fight like learn how to box you know it's, yeah. it's that shit works like just learn how to throw like a diesel punch and and yeah most people okay. don't know how to fight so if you do you can just knock them out yeah absolutely yeah, one time I watched a, a like a five foot five little dude who used to be a regular at one of my bars knock out a dude who was probably three inches taller and, and fifty pounds heavier than me. Big biker mm-hmm. dude knocked him out in about six seconds because he was a former Gold Gloves amateur boxer. And it's yeah. like, big dude looked tough. You you would have never taken this little guy in the fight, but it was like nothing I've ever seen before. He just fucking just rocked him, not you know yeah. wiped the floor with him, um, and it was it was a sight to see. So. Um, on that note, I, I think that's pretty much it. I think that's pretty much all I got. And we're yeah. getting close to an hour and yeah, 10. It's getting so, pretty late. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Evan, is there anything you wanted to add off topic? Any last thoughts or, um, let me try and think. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, if you do let me know, we can. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I feel like, I feel like there's a stupid thing I wanted to bring up. But I do not remember. So, fuck it. We'll do this again in a week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, thanks, guys. As always, you'll find uh, contact information and whatever in our show notes. And uh, thank you for listening. And we're glad to be back doing this. And I hope that you guys liked hearing about these dummies. And uh, 
but also thanks for keep spreading the word about us. Yeah, please do. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next week. This has been another episode of Left on Red. See ya. Peace.